Hello, now welcome to the show. Just before we crack on, I just want to double check. Do you want to get confident on camera, be irresistible to those you're talking to and speak online with confidence and ease? Well, grab my new online course, Calm On Camera, the pre-recorded series now. Over the course of four sessions, we'll be really getting clear on why it is that you're showing up online and how to do it in a way that works for you. So head to amylayton.teachable.com and enter the promo code IRRESISTIBLEPRESENCE for 10% off now. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Irresistible Presence. Now this week I'm talking to Lorraine Lewis who is co-founder and CEO of award-winning charity the Lewis Foundation which is just incredible. It provides free gifts and support to adults going through cancer treatment in hospitals around the Midlands. Now as if that doesn't keep her busy enough Lorraine balances this with her job as a criminal lawyer working for the Crown Prosecution Service. She's passionate about working with individuals and not-for-profits to help build communities and change the world through public speaking, coaching and mentoring. Now, we spoke all about Lorraine's journey, training as a barrister, despite being told numerous times that she wouldn't be successful and she wouldn't be able to do it through to starting the Lewis Foundation, through her own experiences of having loved ones with cancer and building it up to being the award-winning charity that it is today. I kid you not, speaking to Lorraine gave me goosebumps. I'm feeling really emotional talking about it now, but it just gave me goosebumps. Honestly, just the way that she really heads up supporting young people who want to get into law through to the work that she does with the charity and how it started and how she's grown it and how she's managed to get support from major supermarkets for example as well so please do give it a listen Lorraine as I say is just so inspiring the work that she does is incredible so I hope you enjoy and if you want to know more about the charity the Lewis Foundation you can go to their website thelewisfoundation.co.uk enjoy hello Lorraine how are you? Hello, I'm all right. You? Thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Lorraine, welcome to the Irresistible Presence podcast. Yay. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, now, Lorraine, I am really excited to talk to you today. I know that you have so much stuff to share with us. I'm purposely being very general <laughs> with my words. Um, but Lorraine, people listening to the podcast will have just heard the introduction about who you are and what you do. But would you mind introducing yourself in your own words? Let us know who you are. Of course. So um, my name's Lorraine Lewis. So I'm co-founder of a charity called the Lewis Foundation that provides gifts and support to adults going through cancer treatment. And when I'm not doing that, my day job is a lawyer for the Crown Prosecution Service. So I like to keep myself very busy. How do you manage that all? Sometimes I'm not too sure if I'm going to be honest. It seems to just work. I've kind of got a system in place and it seems to be working. So, um, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Lorraine, yeah. I have three quick fire questions for you to start okay. us off today before we dive deep into yeah. hearing all about your charity work and your work as a barrister and your journey yeah. of confidence. So, first question Are you ready? Yes, let's go. Okay, all right. First question is breakfast, lunch, or dinner? For me, it has to be lunch. The reason for me, it's just that time of day where you can just like go out with your friends or your family and just get a treat. So, my lunchtime, my ideal lunchtime is like going for afternoon tea, which I've really, really missed during lockdown. So, anything to do with cakes, 
sandwiches, things like that. Oh. That's yeah, that is me. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. You know what? I don't think we've had anyone say lunch so far. Yeah, I absolutely love that time of the day. And you could just be a mentor and then have a little snack later on. But yeah, lunch time for me is like yeah, the one. Mm, okay. Something okay. to look forward to. <laughs> Something you can look forward to. This this is true. Do you do do you do breakfast as well or do you just go straight to lunch? Yeah, I have a like small breakfast, but if it's like I know I'm going out, I'll hold back and then just go all all out at lunch. <laughs> and I love a little snack later on if I can manage it. <laughs> I love the seriousness on your face. There is a plan. There is a plan. If I'm out, there is a plan, <laughs> a plan to it. <laughs> Hey, it's serious stuff. This dreams thing. It is. It's very serious stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so speaking of serious food choices, yeah. then with that lunch, yeah. If you were to go to your favourite cafe mm. or restaurant, yeah, what would you have? My favourite. It would be, mm. um, there would have to be some cake involved. Like today it was a lunch and um, I was like, let's head to town. And it just brought like a cake <laughs> for my favourite place. So that was my lunch. I know it's not healthy or like what we should be looking for, but it's a treat. And today is raining and it's depressing. So I wanted something to, to pick me up. So I had like, like a cake and a coffee and yeah, it was great. So for me, anything to do with cake is my thing. Mm, any kind of cake in particular or just oh, cake in general? Uh, red velvet is my favorite Ooh. yeah i really love red velvet cake Ooh, yeah. do you know what i had never tried red velvet cake until last week mm, no way yeah true oh story no true way. story i'd never had it it was one of my friend's birthdays and um she had a little bit of cake and i tried it and i was like what Ooh, what's this <laughs> it's amazing I've never had this before yeah I love it I love it and for me because I'm celiac as well so it can be quite a nightmare to find things so when I found my like locations then I'm like right I'm going to get it because it can be quite hard sometimes when you're out and about trying to to find something that you can actually eat so yeah yeah because a lot of the celiac stuff can be very cardboardy I think, yeah I so I've got my locations all mapped out <laughs> So I know where I need to go. I can literally imagine you with a map and I know pins. It's true. <laughs> I know where to go. This in Northampton, this place is good. Yeah, so yeah, that is, that is priority. Day, I love it. Lorraine, you've got your priorities sorted. <laughs> okay. And one more question. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a slightly different question yeah. actually this week from what I've asked people on previous episodes. Just just because okay. um which is what would be your food hell we've spoken about your most yeah favorite yeah. food for lunch what would be the thing that you would really hate to have for lunch anything with uh, raspberries i absolutely I don't ah. that, absolutely sorry if you like it but i absolutely hate raspberries no <laughs> when i was a kid i got given um a raspberry yogurt and I don't know what it was about it but the taste of it ever since I can't like even like bring myself to like speak about even speaking about it it makes me feel a bit um so yeah anything like raspberry flavoring or oh I can't can't do it it makes me feel sick (laughs) (laughs) please give me anything with raspberries (laughs) 
<laughs> Lorraine is now shuddering oh, yeah. at the thought of raspberry. Oh, <laughs> Physically shuddering. <laughs> no, really? Yeah. So what about like chocolate and raspberry brownies? No, and... anything like, no. <gasps> Even looking at it makes me like, oh no. So yeah, that is my food health. <laughs> So please, if I ever meet you, don't don't present it to me. Okay, noted, noted. I'll get any kind of cake for you as long as it's not raspberry. Yeah, I'll note that down. I'll note that down. I love. Never, never had anyone say lunch, and I've never had anyone say they don't know, like raspberry. So I think that's brilliant. Thinking, what the hell is going on? I mean, it's fantastic. It gives us something to talk about. I love okay. it. <laughs> okay, all right. So, food stuff done aside. Yeah. Um, we are here today to chat about confidence. Yeah. And is confidence, as we know, means lots of different things to lots mm-hmm. of different people. Um, and everybody's experience and everybody's journey will have taken them to a different stage of their journey with confidence. Yeah. And so what we've been doing every week is been chatting to guests to find out what their journey is, to find out where they are yeah. with that journey of confidence and how things that have happened to them in the past have affected that and then how they're looking forward to the future with yeah. it too. So, Lorraine, just to kick us off, yeah, what does confidence mean to you? For me, and I think this is something I've discovered this year, it's about going for it and not caring what, anybody thinks about it so you're not dwelling on I don't want to do this because you know someone's going to judge me someone's going to think like who does she think she is it's like totally owning what you do um and for me that's confidence I think totally owning what you do and not caring what anybody else thinks about it because it what's important matters to you amazing yeah amazing is that something that you have been able to put into action this year is that something because I know you said especially this year so is that something that is new to you yeah it's definitely I think for me it's before I did focus on like you know what people think you know what is anyone going to think like why is she doing this who does she think she is she's not you know you know you're not special and I think it's actually the pandemic that's made me like take a time to reflect on stuff and that why are you holding yourself back for other people? Like, does it really matter what they say or think or do? And um, it's really made me revisit a lot of things I've done and I, that I actually haven't done and just thought, let's just go for it. Um, having a coach has been absolutely incredible as well mm-hmm. in terms of pushing me forward and supporting me in that vision because there's a lot of times I've gone to her and I'm like, I can't do this. And she's like, right, and let's talk through it. Um And a lot of the factors that were holding me back is that worry about what other people think. And I feel like this year, just pushing past that has made a real difference to my confidence level. So that's that's where the shift has been Mm -hmm. for me this year. Yeah, sometimes I think just having that outside perspective, isn't it? And just having somebody to keep you accountable. Yeah, that's made a difference. So, and then like when you've done something and, you know, they say, oh, that was great or you did a good job or, you know, why don't you try this? And then you do it and you think, actually, this felt okay. It didn't matter. And just keep pushing forward. And then you just feel like what was holding me back before. So Mm. I think it's been, for me, that's been a real important shift in my confidence this year was just going for it. Amazing. Amazing. And take me, take me back. Yeah. Let's, let's rewind before we look forward to the future. Let's explore your journey. Yeah. 
up to the point of let's go when did covid really start to hit in the uk mid-march yeah let's go i would love to hear all about your journey yeah. because as you said you are a you're a barrister you yeah. as a barrister um but you also are ceo of the lewis foundation yeah um so tell us all about that tell us all about where it started yeah. your training everything yeah so I always knew I wanted, this is really interesting because yesterday you remember record of achievements you used to get at school yeah right, so I found mine and it was like when I was 16 and it was like it just I find it hilarious that record of achievement because nobody has those now do they <laughs> in that brown book or whatever it was um and it was talking about what I wanted to do at 16 which was I wanted to be a barrister and um it got me thinking because when I was reading it back it was like I had that idea that I wanted to do that from when I was eight I think I'd watched something on TV clearly that had like fired me up because my parents used to love watching those courtroom dramas that was that was their thing and um I knew that was something I wanted to do but like in my family nobody went uni we didn't know anybody that did law so I didn't know whether it was achievable but it was something that wouldn't go away even from that young age I was determined to do it and I remember going into like, we had those career advisors or whatever they're called back at school. And I would have been about maybe 11. And I went in and said, this is what I want to do. And they were like, you can't do that because you're a woman and you're black. And I was like, mm, okay. Um, okay. So I went home and told my parents, obviously they were not happy about that at all. And went in and spoke to them about it. That like, don't try and dampen her dreams. If that's what she wants to do, like, let her go for it. Um, what's the worst that can happen but I had that same those same words said to me so many times like over the years like when I was at school like my teacher told me the same and I used to go to like a Saturday school for extra tuition and they were like you know you ain't gonna be able to do it but I think having the support of my parents who were like look you could do anything and achieve anything it doesn't matter what you look like your background you just gotta go for it that push me forward and also I think I wanted to prove them wrong as well I wanted to prove everybody who said that to me wrong that actually yeah I can do this I don't know how I'm going to do it but um I'll find a way mm. and I just worked really really hard to get my GCSEs and I went to lots of certain teachers and said look this is what I want to do can you help me and they were really great in that they got me like extra lessons and support so I could get the grades I needed for GCSE and my A-levels but then I knew there was only so far they could take me. But obviously, I still didn't know about anybody that did law at the time. So I just used to write like to everybody and anybody because you give me some work experiences. And the thing is, they came back and said yes. So I had some of like, the best work experiences ever. Like I remember taking myself off on the train to London and, you know, sitting with judges in the old Bailey and stuff like that because I wrote to a person. Wow. I would just like, look, on, look in books and just think, that's the judge's name. Let me write to them. And they said wow. yeah. And... I just thought, like, I'm not going to let anybody stop me from achieving what I want to do. Um, I've just got to find a way to get there. And the best feeling was when it was, it would have been 2007, I, yeah, I got my qualification as a barrister. It was the best feeling ever because my parents were there and it was in, like, um, in London. And it was something that everybody had kept saying to me, you're not going to get. And I got it. And it was the best feeling ever, honestly. I was just couldn't even tell you how happy I felt because it's just like for some people that might have just like put them off completely yeah 
and yeah. often, you know if you haven't got that support from your family or you know that could be the difference between you doing something you really wanted wanting to do and not and mm. Mm. I was so glad to be able to do it and prove them wrong but also because I wanted to do it as well wow yeah wow and I mean that must have really taken quite some courage to fight against what everybody was telling you it it was really hard like as a young person having someone say you can't do something because of being a woman and the color of your skin it's just like Mm. what what is that about like why are you even Mm. why would you even say that to somebody and I Mm. think even though I did push forward deep down it does have a knock-on effect on your confidence in it and how you you view yourself as well because then when you're in the situations where you know the law, the legal situations where you need to put yourself forward, it still plays in the back of your mind because when you walk into a room, especially when we were in the training period and there's just, you know, the only person that looks like you, then you start to think maybe I shouldn't be here because there's nobody else that looks like me. And you have to kind of quiet it down and just get on with it. So, um, mm. yeah, I think in terms of like school and stuff, I mean, I hope it would be better now. But back then, I think, you know, people were more than willing and open to say, like, you can't do something, um, you can't be somebody. So, yeah. So for me now, like, any young person I hear who say they want to do something or I want to give something a go, I encourage them because that's what they need. Yeah. Yeah, you can't have negativity like that. It's not It's not good for anybody. No, and that's the thing. If you... If you have those people around you, like you were saying as well, if you if you have those people around you who are able to be that support, whether yeah. it be as a child or whether it be as an adult, yeah, then that's only going to help people on their journey to do whatever they want to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it is so valuable. I think like we do need to encourage people, especially younger people these days, because the pressure mm. is a lot more intense to go through like the legal process than when I went because of the competition. It's just like rife it's just it's so tough Um, and I can see people just giving up so you know that's Mm -hmm. why I try and support and help people as much as I can to keep pushing Mm -hmm. pushing forward Mm. so you trained as a barrister yeah how how did you find it then having to suddenly do it for real like (laughs) I don't think uni or anything prepares you anything for that because like when you go in it's just like you didn't help me at all. Like you, don't feel like you took my money and then you threw me in the defense because I don't actually, I generally felt like I did not know what was going on. Um, and I was so young then. I was like, when I got my first proper job, I was 23 and you think uh-huh. everyone's way older than me. So I was like, what's that? I can't think of the expression, but I'll, I'll, it'll come back to me, but there's an expression. I can't think of it, but it was like a yeah, baptism of a fire. Like you are yeah. going to make it or you were not. And I generally thought there were times I wasn't going to make it. And I, used, wow. and because you were young as well, you get ripped apart. Like you really, yeah. I think it's like they're testing you and and seeing like, oh, does she really know? Or it's it's a real tough environment to be in. And then you just don't feel you're prepared for it because the legal training is more about like the law but it's when you're there practically and you're applying it it's a whole different Mm. 
whole different ball game because you've got scenarios you don't know what's going to happen or you know what to expect or you don't know what the defendant might be like or how they're going to react or what the judges are going to be like so it's kind of like every day it's like I guess well, what day is it going to be is it going to be a good day or is it going to be well, where I want to cry <laughs> when I want to cry um, wow but I learned so much in those periods if, if anything it taught me resilience because if you can take that um and you can and deal with that you can can do anything and then mm. after, after time you like you get used to it people get used to you as well so they know what you like and and they're actually supportive they were just I think it's when it's that whole you're your new person we're going to see how, how you handle it wouldn't recommend Ooh. it I would never do that to anybody I would try and help people as much as, as they can but in law it's a bit different <laughs> oh goodness so it feels almost a bit like an, an initiation, initiation period yeah yeah, <laughs> initiation. yeah. it's tough <laughs> It was really tough. Oh. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> How long did it take to get to grips with that then? Because that must have been quite a shock to the for, system. For me, like, to properly get to grips with, like, dealing with it, I'd say a good few years, actually, to the point where oh, I felt really? comfortable. Because, um, like I said, I felt like with the uni, it was like, this is the law. But in terms of actually applying it, um, it's different. You need to do it as like an actual ex- live like an experience. You need to actually be physically doing it. So it took me a good few years to get to up to grip and speed. And then after mm-hmm. that, it was just like fine. You could you could walk in and feel confident and own it. Um, I remember one time, like when I first started, there was a guy, and he was just like so chilled. And I was like, "How are you so chilled? Can you give us some advice?" And he was like. Even when you don't know what you you know what you're talking about, you you blag it and make it sound like you do, ah. and that got me a lot through. Which still I sometimes apply now, actually. So if, if even if you don't know, just come across so confident like you do, and it'd be fine, and and nobody will be able to touch you. So I applied that a lot as, <laughs> as well. Comes back to that idea of fake it till you make it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> My yeah it was. Um, yeah, it was a, a good, a big learning process for me, a big learning curve. But once I felt comfortable um, with it, it was, yeah, it just became second nature. But it took a good few years to get to that point. Amazing. And then how did that impact on your, on the work that you were doing and the work that you were putting out there, where that confidence level had changed? Yeah, I think it's then that you can just walk into the room and you just know it and you can own it and you can challenge things. Whereas when you're not too sure, you do doubt yourself and you you don't come across with that confidence and authority to get your message across so um yeah for me it was I, I loved when I reached that stage because I felt like actually this is finally what what I always wanted to do I felt like that you know that like essay I wrote back when I was 16 about what I wanted to do I felt I reached that point I was like yes <laughs> it felt good yeah did it and um, does it live up to the courtroom dramas that you used to watch on tv it's so random, like, <laughs> oh, it's so random. Um, sometimes you just get situations, you're like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, there's certain, I can't go obviously too much detail, but there's, like, mm. why would you do, why would you commit that type of crime? It might be the most stupidest, they might still be the most stupidest thing, you're like, really? Or, you know, it's, it's, it's a mixture because you go from things like that and to things where people have like made genuine mistakes and you know mm. it's because of circumstances that have put them in there and you feel so, sorry for them especially when people are like stealing out of desperation mm. and you know it's through desperation but it's it's you know it's really hard so you go through a real mix a mixture of the whole of society you can go from you know 
children and then you go for people that haven't got any money and you can go for people that are really wealthy that have committed a crime it's just you can't say it's one sector of society it's literally anybody that that you could come across and for me that was a you know an eye-opener as well in terms of the like the range of people you see people's backgrounds what motivates people to do what they're doing it was a real life lesson but actually about life and society as well the society that we live in and what we're Mm. doing for people within it as well Mm. so tell us more as well then about the charity yeah so that came about so I would have been I just got married so it's 2010 so I was 25 and um yeah so I had my job so things were going well just bought a house and then in 2010 my mother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer completely out of the blue and unexpected and then for me life just changed in an instant like Mm. it made me really revisit life I thought I had everything sorted and going and then that happened and it was like I never experienced it before you see so I I, it was just like a real eye-opener for me um going into the hospitals with Lee and his his mum when she was in there and visiting and just seeing like just people my age and you know people of all again all ages and backgrounds going through a really difficult period of, of life and it was just like what at the time it was like what can I do to make it better but I hadn't really even done volunteering work before like I'm the complete opposite I was into charities work no volunteer nothing like that but so I didn't really know what I could do so we just go and visit and I would just be like just thinking and learning and watching what other people were doing so there were so many people like just giving up their time for nothing which is not something I'd come across very often before um I think when it really came into making a change and doing something is when during that period um my father-in-law had a heart attack and passed away completely out of the blue two years Mm -hmm. later and then we had to step in and look after her because that's what that was what he did and so we were then in the hospital every single day so after you know we both finished work we would go down whereas before we wouldn't always go down because he would be there and he would say not Mm -hmm. to worry and it was a real eye-opener because then we were buying things for her like she wanted a magazine and you realise that some magazines cost like £8, but there's some people that can't afford that and we were paying for parking every day. So that started racking up and just all these additional costs that you don't think about. And then you think, well, if we're feeling it, other families must be must be as well. Mm. So the first thing I thought, I wanted to do something. And I've what really bugged me when we were going to hospital is that we had to pay to watch TV which I really wow. don't get. So it was like £10 a day or £35 a week, which for me, like, it, it's just insane. Like, no, we should have mm. to pay that much. It's a lot of money to watch TV. Yeah, so we were just like, Gosh. it's ridiculous. And before my father-in-law passed away, he would used to bring in a TV from home. So she was like, well, that's what you have to do now. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I just grabbed like, the little 14-inch one so I could put it back. And she's like, no, I want the 32-inch. I was like, oh, oh wow. <laughs> what are you doing this to me? And like, you think of like, lugging that from the car park into the hospital. It was just like, people looking at me like, she's, been, she's stealing something. I thought I'm going to get a call and then I'm going to have to be in court. And it's just going to get really messy because I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I was like, oh my god I can't do this so I thought well I'm gonna fundraise for TVs for the ward so it was like I needed 14 okay. so 
I said to my brother, like, what can I do? I've never fundraised before. He's like, oh, why don't you sign up for Tough Mother? I didn't know what it was. Because <laughs> he's like, I did it the year before. And he goes, people will definitely sponsor you. So mm-hmm. I signed up for it. And everyone was like, no, I'm sorry, but you're not going to make it. <laughs> you're not going to make it. I was like, don't you tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. And, I, and then I looked at it and I thought, actually, in my head, I was like, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> 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 I'm so, um, I don't like mud. I didn't like climbing or anything. like. But um, I'd signed up and I thought, let me fundraise for it. And I asked one of my friends to do it with me. She wanted to do it anyway. So I dragged, dragged her along and raised enough to buy seven TVs, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still needed another seven. So she was uh-huh. like, oh, why don't we sign up to another event? And it was like 200 it was 20 miles, 200 obstacles. She go, it won't be hard because it's 200 obstacles. They're going to be little baby obstacles. And there wasn't. It was just the worst. <gasps> what kind of thing? It was just like, there was like a mile of monkey bars. Like, I can't do it. <laughs> you oh know? My um, it was just ridiculous. Like those like water slides. It was just everything possible. They were full scale. And she was like, I'm really sorry. Cause I thought there would be little baby ones. I was like, well, you <sighs> lied. <laughs> but, um, oh, wow. Yeah. But we did it. Um, and what kept me going through both of those was the fact that I knew I needed to get these TVs because it was going to help people because I know nobody can realistically afford that. You know, when you go into hospital, you're not in there for a day in those type of wars. You're in there for long periods of time. And doing those two races, um, that was my focus. That was what kept me going because I would have easily have quick. They were really hard, um, but not as hard as someone sitting in hospital. So that's what, you know, kept me going. And so then I raised enough to get the remaining seven, and then we were able to get fourteen TV and DVD players in the on the ward. Wow! And it was amazing because then when you would go in, you would see people watching it, and you know, rather than them, you know, when you used to walk past the the rooms, you could see people. There's no TV on, so it's like, what are they doing? They're just they're thinking, which is not good for anyone's mental health. Mm-hmm. So it was really good to go in and see people like sitting there and watching it. Um, wow. And for us, it was like, okay, that's great. What else can we do? Uh-huh. So we just started going in and um, we would go to the shop and we just buy things, magazines, books, toiletries, sweets. And when we would go in, we would go around the ward and hand them out and just spend time with people and get to know them and just see past mm-hmm. cancer, really. Just treat them as just, yeah, they are. They're everyday people. Mm-hmm. And that's where our idea came the Lewis Foundation of giving gifts um, to people through doing that and just seeing the difference it made to someone's day and just keeping them going and providing the distraction and it's yeah it kind of it was born from that whole crazy few years it was it was mental oh my gosh my gosh it's so inspiring so <laughs> inspiring um that's just incredible how how did it then continue to to grow how, yeah. how did it what it is now I know it was mental because like, when we started it like one day we we're like let's set up a charity it was like yeah okay then like I don't even know what we just thought we needed to do something for people to take us seriously I don't yeah. we didn't know how to run a charity we didn't really know what we were doing we applied to the charity commission and then they said oh yeah that's a great idea and said yes we're like yes that's great and then we were like we've got no money like we hadn't thought about it we need to we actually need funds to do what we're doing yeah. um we didn't even know about funding at the time. So when we started, it was like purely like persuading family and friends to fundraise and help us seek product donations. Um, and then in April, I think it was May um, 2016, we delivered our first set of gifts to the hospital, which was like 80 gifts um, that would be handed out to patients. So it was 
just like a small selection magazines um overnight packs so it's filled with toiletries and stuff for people are rushed in puzzle books um mm-hmm. things like that um and at first it was really hard because obviously nobody knows who we were and they were like why are you like two random people just giving stuff out for free like nobody gives out stuff for free because we were going in and they were like do you want some money or they couldn't understand why there was no exchange so we're giving some a gift but there was no money exchanged people really struggled with that um which i get because these days you do you know you do doubt things and like you of course something given in return yeah um and it was really hard because every month we were just raising enough money for the next month so it was really tough um and i remember we got to the following year so it had been maybe eight no about march, march time 2017 and you know, we sat there and we thought, like, we've either got two options. We just give up and say we tried our best and we've helped some mm-hmm. people or we find a way to keep going. And then we had, like, some things that happened. You know, like, I, I believe things happen for a reason for me that really helped us to yeah, to keep, keep going. Um, we applied for, like, Eden Project would do, like, this community, like, engagement weekend, a long weekend where they would help you, show you basically how to, run and grow an organization in your community and Lee and I got accepted for it and we spent like four days down there and they taught you basically everything you need to know about how to do a community organization and it was wow. amazing. it was absolutely incredible so we stayed there on the site you know we went in the biodomes after dark and they just taught us so much and they taught us about funding like that's something again I said I did we didn't know about that we could apply for but they also encouraged us and said that you've got a really good idea, you need to keep going, don't give up. And they really supported us and they still support us now. Um, and then during that time, there was a guy that um, used to go, Lee was a chef at the time and he would come into Lee's work every day and he was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And Lee would have lunch with him, use his lunch, use his lunch bag and sit with him and chat. And he'd ask me to get packs for him just to help him during his treatment. And he died. And then we got a letter one day and he left £50,000 for us to further the charity um, because he said he wanted us to help other people because it meant that much to him. And it makes me feel emotional when I think think about it because somebody that would just give that gift to keep it going. And it was because of him it kept going um, Mm. because we had literally no money um, at all. Um, And it was like... Yeah, for him, I'll be ever, you know, forever thankful for that act of kindness. Because from there, we were right, like, right, we've got the means now. Let's just approach other hospitals and start giving gifts, and that's what we did. And then we found the more gifts we gave, um, the more support we gave. People started to take us a bit more seriously. Um, we got like charity of the year for like supermarkets like Sainsbury's and M&S and then we found that people then took us seriously they were like actually these are not two random people um <laughs> they're not dodgy they're actually here to do something yeah, they're actually trying to do something yeah, they're not <laughs> take the money off you <laughs> we are genuine and it's yeah. kind of snowballed from there really um and it was from that guy and the Eden project that that it was just came at the right time um and it enabled us to just grow and it's just grown from there to the size it is today. And like, you know, we now give two, just over 2,500 gifts to nine hospitals now from that one ward that we did four years ago. It's just, when oh I look back, it's like, how are we possible? Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. amazing. That is amazing. How does it, how does it feel to be 
doing it in the in the scale that you are now it, sometimes i when i stop and think about it or somebody says it to me like oh can you like can you believe how like much it's grown and then you stop and take a step back and you're like oh my god actually it's it's crazy to think it's grown to size it has because when we started i don't think there was ever i don't know what we were thinking i think we were it was grief it was you know we just didn't know what to do with ourselves and we just thought we'd only ever help the one ward um never if somebody has said when we started like you'll be doing like that much mm-hmm. maybe it would have been too scary to even attempt to do it because it would have been so overwhelming um mm-hmm. i don't know um i don't know actually but it does when i think like it's proud but sometimes you do feel overwhelmed about what what's going on like what's going on beyond the background and what we're doing but it's the best thing i've ever done like 100 percent. amazing it's just incredible it's, it's genuinely giving me goosebumps listening to you saying that honestly honestly what what's the statistic now is it one in two one in two and like i found that since we've been doing it over the years like the age gets younger and younger um really so then you start to see people your own age and then it makes you definitely like pay attention to what you're doing and how you're living um it's just so it's just it is scary but all you can do is try and support people and just keep them going and you know show them like they're not on their own and that they're supported because a lot of the time it is scary for people and it's not because um I think what I mean is in terms of visiting like sometimes people don't know what to say people don't Mm. know how to react so they then start to back off not because they don't care but because they're scared as well so um, I think just showing people like look this is you don't have to be scared you can go you can you can support people like that's what we're here to do as well try and break down that barrier that it's not just because you've got cancer you can't be spoken to you can't be taught to you can't be treated normal normally yeah Uh, that's what we're trying to do as well yeah 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 it's so important and not only for the people going through the treatment itself but as you say also for the friends and family around because quite often and I'm just thinking of you know the cases where I've known people who've had cancer quite often you you're the ones that are trying to hold everything together and yet you're like well actually where do I go for support and what how do I know what to do and what to say yeah so just the fact that that's there as well makes the world of difference yeah and it's nice because then you get family and friends they sometimes speak to us as well like what should I bring in what should I say what should I do and it's just like just be just be you because they're no different they're the same person like I remember I used to go in and my mother-in-law she didn't want to talk about cancer she'd be like oh how was your day she wanted to actually hear something that was just like just just normal life yeah usually about what happened in court today she wanted to (laughs) (laughs) that was always the first one what happened I was like oh here we go giving her all the gossip yeah but she's gossip and if it picks her up then let's go for it (laughs) and just be like that just be yeah just be yourself and people want to have that still that connection to normal life and and just yeah they're the same person it's just sadly that you know they've got an illness um how would you say your confidence has has changed throughout the journey of it growing massively like I remember like first going in and being absolutely terrified and I think it's because I had not been in that environment before or around anybody with cancer so you know I didn't know where to look should I look at somebody should I not should I speak to somebody should I not um 
And I think that's where my lessons has come from in terms of you just you just see that person, you see past what they're going through um, to the point like when we go in the hospital, like sometimes you don't know when you open that door, you don't know what that person's going to be like when you open that door. Are they going to be upset? Are they going to be angry? They're going to be, you know, scared. And you have to adapt like rapidly because and you can't show any like, you know, weakness in that because you're there to support them and pick them up and there are times when you open the door and somebody's like in tears because they're scared or they're they're scared of dying or they're you know they're worried and Mm. I think just be yourself and just try and find ways to pick them up and provide them with comfort and support so it's given me that appreciation in terms of of life actually that you know we're so lucky to have the lives we have and it can be taken away from us at a moment's notice so you just Mm. gotta live live it you've got to support people um it's given me a whole new appreciation for life that I would never have had and I know that's a weird way to look at it but it it really really does I know people that I've met through there that are my own age that have died and I've gone to their funeral it's like what the hell's going on um so that you've got yeah you've got to 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 live and do whatever it is you want to do as simple as yeah god Lorraine honestly I just (laughs) Those words just really hit home. Like, you have to, genuinely. like, there's some awful times and then, like, you see the family afterwards and you're just like, that person's gone now. And you're just like, someone's like, I'm 36 and someone's 36 and they're, they're not here anymore. Like, mm. what the hell is going on? What's what's that about? And that's why, that's why you've got to do things that you need to do. I mean, I've been in hospitals so many times where people are dying and they said to me, look, you've got to live your life. You've got, to, if there's things you want to do, you've got to go and do it. And they're telling me because they're, and that they're sitting there and I know that that's for them is it so mm-hmm. I take those words and I listen to everything they say because they're, they're telling okay. the truth so in that case then mm. thinking about our final question yeah and I feel like I feel like you may have already preempted but I'm going to ask it anyway yeah. um so with everything that you've just spoken about, your journey, training as a barrister, overcoming people telling you that you couldn't be a barrister, going through all of that, going through the rigmarole of being a new barrister <laughs> um, and all the, the grief that was being given to you. Totally. And then going through the the beginning stages of the Lewis Foundation and building up over the last four years to what it is today. What is one thing that, looking back now you would tell your younger self oh I would say um you need to go out there anything you want to do anything you want to achieve you can achieve it don't let anybody hold you back and you have to live your life if you've got dreams follow them that that would be my thing there's time is time is precious so I would say just if there's something you want to do just get out and do it amazing thank you thank Thank you you. it's genuinely genuinely so inspiring to hear about all the amazing work that you've done and building up the charity and how you've made it into what it is today it's just incredible oh thank you Uh, I really enjoyed it thank you thank you (laughs) tell us Tell us where we can find out a little bit more as well about the Lewis Foundation. Yeah, so if you want to find out, our website's got all our information. It's um, www.thelewisfoundation.co.uk. Brilliant. Thank you so Thank much, you. Lorraine. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>
Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. As ever, if you did enjoy it, please do remember to rate, review and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts. It really does help to spread the word. And you can find the show notes for this episode over at amylayton.com. All right, have a great one. Catch you next week.